0: <laughs> <laughs> right, just not, not quite that comfortable
1: she doesn't want to be that close. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to see everybody. Yeah, exactly. It's good to see everybody. Uh, before we start again, I want to reiterate this awesome opportunity we have with um, the Ethnos Three Hundred and Sixty Bible Institute School. There's a sign-up sheet out there, uh, and if you would like on the Fourteenth to host a missionary, and it can either be. Re- take them to lunch in your home or you take them out to eat somewhere. What's up, Roy? Uh, something like that, regardless. Um, you know, just, just one at least. Um, it make a big difference in creating a relationship with those kids. And they're very excited about it. They've actually been texting me themselves. I gave them my cell phone number. They've been sending me texts asking, you know, this is so awesome. And I'm excited we get to do this. And I mean, it's just, it's creating a really good relationship. And some of the the teachers that are there, Well, Dave and Kim Field in particular, uh, Kim Field wrote me a a text message and she said, this has never happened in all the years I've ever been a missionary, that... You know we're always trying to find churches to help, and then there's a church that's stepping forward saying, How can we help? She's like, You just don't get it. It's weird to see it coming from the other side our way, that never happens. And so, uh, I'm encouraged by you know that it's at least having a profound effect on them because if missionaries need anything, they need encouragement. That's really what they need. Wow, <laughs> we'll to about
0: concussion number 30. <laughs>
1: So if you have the opportunity, you're so inclined to do so, the sign-up sheet is out there next to the new members. Sign up. That'd be excellent. And uh, we should have a final number on how many we're having next week. It should be good. So let's pray. God, thank you for the book of Deuteronomy and all that it tells us of uh, your working and the expectation of a nation who needs to reflect your glory and to be a testimony to others uh, that have been far wayward and involved in so many gross Uh, activities, um, Lord, how desperately your light needs to shine, and how it needs to shine through people. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that we can look into this, and even some crazy and hard things like we're going to see today, that we would understand better uh, what's going on. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are in the midst of a section in Deuteronomy uh, 22. It actually picked up starting in verse 9, and it uh, deals with purity, because everything that's surrounding this section is purity, and if you're keeping notes and you want to take a look, it's from 22.9 all the way to chapter 23, verse 18, the whole concept of purity. Uh, what's interesting is this whole section kind of centers around um, you shall not commit adultery and all the ramifications that go with that given in the Ten Commandments. Um, we're going to find out a lot about the marriage relationship today, a lot about customs back then. We're going to find out a lot about, um, even some of the things that maybe some people don't talk about because it's spooky. We'll we'll probably look at that as well. So, uh, we're going to start in verse 13. Verse 13 says, if any man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her and charges her with shameful deeds. And publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. Now stop. Obviously, this has got a lot of ramifications to it. Uh, number one, the idea of turning against her is the fact that there's an allegation of infidelity that's put forward. It's the idea of when we got ready for our marriage night, uh, she she was not ready to go. Uh and so this is a problem now naturally the questions arise and i'm sure we all know it but we all blush like seven-year-olds when we talk about it but we need to we need to talk about it and be adults about it because the bible deals with it how does he know this for sure the reason is is because the hymen is broken that's the reason why you might know why god put a hymen on the human body you realize a lot of doctors don't know i mean there's been like all kinds of studies about it and they're like This thing's kind of useless. We don't know why it's here. Uh, But what you find out is the reason why it was designed and created is because any covenant that God makes with people, there always is accompanied with it, a shedding of blood. And what you find is, is that marriage is a covenant. It is a covenant that's supposed to be entered into with the proper respect, humility, and commitment. Throw love on the other shelf, okay? For real. Uh, The idea that if you don't have commitment in your marriage, your marriage will not last. It's just not going to happen. Uh, there are going to be times I'm sure that my wife is like, wow, your breath is amazing. Go away, you know. <laughs> and at that moment, she might not feel particularly fond or attracted to me. But the fact that she's committed makes a big difference in that, in that type of situation. Well, right here, what we have is, is that there's no shedding of blood that has taken place in this intercourse. And therefore, I now have to question whether or not she has um, met up with somebody before me. And this, is, this wasn't just a situation where it was um, behind closed doors and we're going to deal with this privately. No, no, no. Notice that he comes out and he makes a public accusation. Now, when you have a public accusation against somebody, you've immediately damaged your reputation. Anybody know how hard it is to get a reputation back? <laughs> I was talking with somebody a few months ago that was telling me um, that I, I think like their uncle or something like that, some family member. Uh, was accused of sexually molesting a girl in their family and was later found out that the girl was lying. The girl was trying to get something. The girl was trying to exploit a situation. Uh, it was her stepdad or something like that that she didn't like anyway, and he had made her do something or it had you know, some disciplinary action, and so she went as far out as to do this. This guy had to sell his house and move to another town so many miles away just to get out from under the heat that happened, even though... It had been said, no, he's completely innocent. This was wrong. It didn't change the fact that the initial accusations were made in this. So if we can kind of get our minds around what the media does and the newspaper does to those things and how we always condemn people before the evidence is heard in a lot of situations, guilty before and uh, you know proven innocent. Guilty until proven innocent kind of idea. Well, notice verse 14, he charges her with shameful deeds and publicly, so now it's a spectacle, defames her and says, I took this woman. But when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. Now stop. Do we remember what the ramifications are, sorry, what the consequences are according to God's law for somebody who is out of wedlock having intercourse? Death by stoning. It's a public stoning. It's for everybody to see and fear. It is to set an example. It puts a mark in the sand. Now here's another thing that it does that so many people want to argue with today in the church. This right here is clear evidence that intercourse before marriage is a sin period. It just is. Um, if that's happened in your life, it's definitely happened in my life. You know, I I try to be a pretty open book with people. My wife is one of the most gracious people in the world. I've slept with more women than I can count. It's horrible. Uh, thank God that he has cleansed my mind of all of those things, which has been amazing act of his grace and being with Beth is a completely undeserved gift every day. Um, she is fantastic and so forgiving. And, and I remember this was a really sad thing. We were coming back from our rehearsal dinner. We were stopped at a stoplight and I just got overwhelmed at the fact of tomorrow. We're, we're going to be married tomorrow. I'm entering into a relationship with the rest of my life with this woman where I'm committed to her. And, and what am I bringing to this? You know, it's, it's it and in a slop and junk and everything that nobody wants to have anything to do with or talk about, you know, it's everything that is completely shameful. And I was just bawling, you know, but I was like, uh, you know, at the steering <laughs> wheel. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I told her, I said, I don't have anything to give you. Everybody else has already taken everything that I have to give. I don't have anything to give you. And it was amazing because she grabbed my hand. She looked at me. And she said, that's not who you are anymore. It just blowing my mind. So um, what a godly response to that idea. So if we've been in that situation, yes, know that it's wrong and we can speak against those evils even though we've participated in it. We shouldn't be surprised, you know, that we're such sinful creatures. But we stand on God's word and his merits of perfection, not our own. So if you want a clear passage that this is a wrong thing, especially for today's generation, yeah, we're not under the law doesn't mean that that the things that God prescribed in the law were only true for a time and they're not really representative of his holy character. No, they're totally representative of his holy character. It's his holy character that we reflect on that lets us know we sin and need a savior. So it's not that God was like, yeah, I felt that way for a while, but now I'm good about it. Just do whatever you want. It's not how he is. This is very clear. Intercourse before marriage is an absolute sin. So verse 15, then the girl's father and mother Notice notice this, both her former guardians, okay? So they have some sort of responsibility in the game. They shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city, uh, forgive me, to the elders of the city at the gate. So in other words, they are going to bring the evidence of her virginity to local leadership, and they're going to do so in a public fashion, right? Now, Every, every girl that's dealing with image problems is just beside themselves right now when they're trying to put themselves in, in, this, in this chapter. Uh, but what you find is, is there may have been other situations where the hymen was broken beforehand. And if that was the case, the parents had a responsibility to say, no, my daughter is acquitted because this happened. This was not a shameful thing. Why? Because if she was doing shameful things, she would be hiding it from her parents as well. You see that? So instead, no, this is what happened. Here's the instance that surrounded. And we've given public testimony the fact that these accusations and tarnishing this girl's reputation in public are completely wrong. So notice, this is a totally like, almost like a Jerry Springer kind of thing going on. It could develop into if it it wasn't so crazy. It it, makes you wonder about the emotions that drive behind uh, some of this stuff. So it's made public. Uh, and, And so it says the girl's father shall say to the elders, and notice that the elders of the local leadership here, I gave my daughter to this man for a wife, but he turned against her. And behold, he has charged her with shameful deeds, saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin. But this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the marriage covenant is ratified by intercourse. There's a covenant, there's a commitment that's made, there's an exchange of rings, but that's not what makes people married. You may be pledging your life, I pledge my faithfulness and my constant love, and you may do all that stuff, that's not what makes you married. You may do it in front of people, that's not what makes you married. Uh, the government would have us think that marriage is a state commodity, that somehow, you know, we sign off on the state. I stopped doing marriages as a representative of the state. Why? state has no control over what defines marriage. And so I never say, by the power invested in me by the state of Wisconsin, I now pronounce you man and wife. Never. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with how the Lord has set the boundaries. And we need to be very aware, especially with this idea of the Equality Act creeping through our government system right now, is when this comes out and it starts to redefine what goes on as far as what marriage, what a woman is, what a man is, all of these things... People are all of a sudden going to be up in arms. There's people that are going to go liberal, blow your mind crazy over the whole thing and think it's just a spring break situation. Some people are going to step back and go, oh my gosh, what in the world has happened? What in the world have we done? And they're going to look for some foundation. They're going to look for some peace somewhere or some calm that's going to happen. And the word of God states these things out very clearly because it gives the proper definition. And you have to have a creator who is defining these things outside of the realm of it, in order to give you the proper way to stand. So no, the state doesn't define marriage uh, in those situations at all either. We have to keep it upon, what does God say that marriage is about? Marriage is only ratified between two individuals by intercourse. It's the only way. Why is it? Because you're entering into a covenant where you're becoming one flesh, and there is a shedding of blood from the hymen that is broken during intercourse, which solidifies that covenant. Now, we're going to do this. It's elementary, but it's necessary. Turn back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 22. So the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, if you've got a different translation, you might have cleave, you might have cling to, The idea is, is that you're drowning in the ocean and what you're reaching out for is going to keep you from drowning. That's the idea. Okay, so imagine how you would go after a life raft. You wouldn't just kind of tickle your fingers over to it. You're clutching it with everything that it is so that you don't go down. That's the idea. You don't rely on mom and dad anymore. It is a joint oneness that takes place. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The joining there is the act of intercourse. That's what it is. It's the togetherness that takes place. Notice that she's no longer called woman. She's called wife. Everybody see that? That changes in those two verses, 24 and 25. She's created. She's called woman. Adam calls her woman. But this joining idea is what puts them together separate from their parents. And now she is called wife. They're now in this marital covenant agreement how desperately important it is that we would just teach genesis chapter two in a biology class it would be so much easier for people now what does this tell you about this number one the ideal marriage is one man one woman that's what it is let's not get into all this polygamy and mormonism and weirdness and all this other stuff that people are trying to do Were they called sister wives or something like that is that that show I never even watched that, but good grief Man, what's going on? We will exploit anything for money But it's sin, it's horrible Uh, Notice that nothing is going on here Everybody always makes a joke, which I think is so terrible Notice it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve I think that's so dumb that goes on here But the idea is, how did God create it? That's really the point that's being brought up here It's intentionally designed God's the one who created sex The number two thing that it tells you, and there's no reason why we should blush or be ashamed God created sex and he's really excited When we participate in it the way that he wants us to In fact, do this. Set this to the side real quick so that we see it. And let's turn to 1 Corinthians 7. I got in a lot of trouble because somebody asked me the question, how do we know when we're ready to get married? And I took them to 1 Corinthians 7 and I answered it. And then I ended up being the one who didn't do their wedding because of that. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> very interesting. People get weird when they talk about this, and I think it's because the church has been weird about sex that has caused so many problems that the world's been trying to answer because the church has said, well, we don't have any answers because we don't talk about that. I think that's dumb. The Word of God talks about it very plainly. We all need to be scholars in the Song of Solomon. Anyway, moving on. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things about what you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now what that means is for you not to put your hands on a woman that's not yours, is the idea. It's good for you to stay away from her, okay? So now he understands, he gets, Paul understands, the inspiration understands, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit understands, and Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit understands. There are desires that we have as people, and why are they there? Sexual desires are not bad. Sexual desires are godly. God's the one to put them there because God's the one who des- who designed sex. They're bad when we manipulate them and we try to carnalize them and we try to make sex that's something fleshly, not something that's spiritual. Now we've got a problem. So it says here, verse 2, But because of immoralities, because of the tendency to want to sin, and that immorality is there, is sexual immorality, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Notice, one for one. There's no other kind of weird mixture that there. There's no same sex that's going on whatsoever. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. That is not taking out the trash. Okay? That's not <laughs> cooking dinner. That's not those things. The idea is is that if he desires sex, she's not to give the headache excuse. The idea is that if she desires sex, he's not too busy watching football. The idea is that you put everything else on hold in order to fulfill the desire of your mate because it's about considering the other better than yourselves. Now, usually at that moment, husbands are nudging wives and wives are really mad at me, okay? (laughs) Don't be. Uh, Trust God's word in this. Verse four, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And usually that's where husbands stop reading and they go brain dead. Ha ha, see, you gotta do it. Because God said, if you are having to use the word of God to coax your wife, you're a terrible lover. I'll go ahead and tell you that. Because you're not using any other means of wooing her, dating her, encouraging her, building her up. And yes, even going as far as to do things like take out the trash. Let's be honest, guys. That's where foreplay starts for, for women. I took out the trash. I did dishes. I'm trying to help. I'm looking after the kids. Man, that diaper was so dirty, it was gross. But you know what? I took it. That kind of thing. And it's not that you need to parade your good actions. It's those types of things that are just encouraging in the marriage relationship. Why? Because you're one flesh, and that's what you should be doing anyway. Whether it leads to intercourse or not, it doesn't matter. That's just being a good spouse. So he says here, don't have authority over your own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Why is it that I don't have a mustache? It's not because I don't want one. It's because my wife will not kiss me if I have a mustache. You know what? I'm shaving regularly. She started to talk about this. I told her, I was like, I'm just trying to look like Vern. That's
0: all.
1: And she said, well, you might you might need to go. She said, you might wake up and a piece of it's missing. <laughs> so, Whatever. But you know what? She, I like having my hair really short. She said, you know what? You should really let your hair grow out longer a little bit. Okay, cool. Why? I don't care. I ain't got anybody else to please. If she thinks I'd look more attractive this way, then great. Why do I care about that? You know? I need to stop eating donuts. I'll be good. Verse 5. Here it is. And it's interesting how forceful Paul is here. Stop depriving one another. And depriving one another from what? Sex. It's really clear. Stop saying no. Uh Uh-oh. Stop telling each other not now. Put a lock on your door and love each other. Do that. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time. So notice, the only reason to not be having sex in a marital relationship is because as one flesh, you've come to an agreement. Now, obviously, as one flesh, it's a common agreement. So what does that look like? So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Isn't that weird? Can you imagine having the conversation with your spouse? Hey, I'm thinking we should abstain from sex for a little while because we really need to pray about this matter, you know? Because I know some of you wives would be like, I think we should pray a lot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think we got lots of things to pray about or whatever. But notice it's a mutual agreement. It says we may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again. Notice that some of your, some of your translations might say come together again quickly. The idea is once you're done praying, once the answer has been given, once you understand that you have from the Lord, yes, we're we're done being being we're done fasting from our sexual relationship together in order to devote to this one matter. And now that that's been taken care of, answered, we have the green light to move forward. Come together again quickly. Why? Watch this. And here's where a lot of problem lies, so so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self control. Paul understands that if the human body goes for so long, once they've crossed the threshold in marriage of having a satisfying sexual relationship, if you go too long without it, you will seek to be satisfied in other places. Now, a lot of times when I go over this situation with people in marriage counseling and things like that, immediately like, so you're saying that his porn problem is because I'm not having enough sex with him, because that's what women do a lot of times in that situation. They say, well, he's looking at porn. He's obviously desirous of other women and things like that. What's wrong with me? How come I'm not bringing everything to the table? And so they will go as far as even violate their consciences to try to make up for whatever deficit they feel is in this relationship. And a lot of times it's like, honey, the problem is not you. The problem is him. He's a sinner and he's willingly participating in sin. And he is using that as a guilt tactic against you to get what he wants. Guess what? Just because you're sleeping with him more now doesn't mean that all of a sudden his porn problem is gone. Porn problem has a lot more to do with an authority problem. It doesn't have to do with sexual deviancy. It's a fact that nobody wants to come under authority of God's word. Nobody wants to participate in self-discipline or self-control. Those are all fruits of the spirit that have to be cultivated. Porn problem is just the tip of the iceberg something greater that's that's rooted in the attitude and in the heart. It really is. Every time I've seen that. Uh, there's a ministry called Pure Life Ministries. It's a lordship salvation type ministry, uh, but they minister to Christians, so I don't understand how their theology works out there. But anyway... I've visited the place three or four times. I've actually had to take people there to drop them off. And it's a nine-month program that they put guys into who are struggling with pornography addiction. And everybody's like, oh, so it's a porn rehab place. No, what you actually find out is it's a place that cultivates humility because it shows you who God is and shows you who you're not compared to him. That's how they cure that problem. Uh, it's not like an AA twelve step, none of that stuff right there. Uh, in fact, a really good book to read is called "At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry," and it's by the guy who started that ministry called Steve Gallagher. It's an excellent, excuse me, it's an excellent book to read. It's helped a lot of people with porn issues. We actually have copies of it here, and the workbook here, and the video series. At some point, I would like to go through that with men. Uh, the problem is, is that when you say, "Hey, honey, I'm going to the Bible study," oh, is that the one about having problems with sex and porn? Yeah, all of a sudden there's all kinds of there's all kinds of problems that are created in that relationship. You got to be honest in the situation. To go, well, I'm just going to support you know Chuck because he's got the problem, you know, kind of thing or whatever. You don't want to run into that. So, uh, but I'm looking forward at some point to have that small group study and to really work through those matters with people because I think it's important. I think it's important that we're honest about that struggle. Uh, and, and to deal with it so that we can live healthier lives, because it doesn't get better when people are trying to fight it on their own. They just don't. So, what's up?
0: With all the little boys that we have coming up in our church, the men need to know this stuff anyway to help their boys deal. Absolutely.
1: With it. Absolutely. Because our culture is going to try to sexualize our children. Every time, every opportunity. I can't tell you how many things have popped We don't even have cable. Yeah. And sometimes just the little co- commercials that go on on Amazon Prime, I'm like, what is this, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Forget that. We're trying to watch, you know gumby or whatever but anyway notice that one of the greatest things is is that if in your relationship you're not having intercourse often satan is looking for where to grab onto it that's what it clearly says so that satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control so infidelity in a marriage pornography and by the way is pornography infidelity and in adultery yes it is absolutely it is uh, if you break it down to something is, is what we consider as harmless as masturbation. That's still a way of self-gratification. Sex is not about us. When I have sex with my wife, it's not about me getting mine and I'm just so amazing of a person. It's about me loving her, pouring into her, investing into her, considering the other better than myself. That's the idea. That's the attitude that comes with this. So it's, it's never about self. Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you're regularly having a healthy sex life, there's no room for Satan to crowd in there. You don't want him in your bed. Verse 6, but this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. Uh, However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and the other in that. You say, what in the world is he talking about there? Paul had no problem with celibacy. Paul was not tempted by sexual stuff. It just wasn't his thing that grabbed a hold of him. He was totally cool. His wife had probably left him when he moved from the Pharisees to become a Christian. She probably abandoned him. And you know what? God just took that desire away from me. I just don't have it. I just want to serve the Lord and nothing else crowd that. Not everybody can deal with this. Verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I, if they can do it. Verse 9, but if they do not have self-control, ha ha. A young couple comes to me, should we get married? Here's the verse I take them to. Do you have self-control? Look what it says. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it's better for them to marry than to burn with passion. Are you burning with passion? Do you desire to be with one another in a sexual way? Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, they have like the hardest time admitting it when you already know what's going on. Otherwise they wouldn't be dating, right? But it's like, okay, you're at this point. Do you desire to do this? Yes, we do. You need to get married now well, we're going to wait a year and a half until my grandma comes in from Australia and I really need a bigger ring. And you'd be amazed at some of the excuses that I've heard to delay obedience. It's insane. And I've even told some people, it's like, listen, you 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 don't have the power to remain celibate in this situation. You don't. You can't. The desire is too much. And it's not that it's a bad thing that it happens, but you have to provide the proper context so that it is worshipful not worrisome so it's very interesting one, here's, here's something real quick and we'll go back to the accusation that's made in, in Deuteronomy something that I get a lot of fun out of when I do premarital counseling with people is I will I, I got three or four sheets of blank paper that I'll take to one of the sessions and I'll set them out for everybody and I'll put a pen out there and I said you, know, you guys are engaged, you've been engaged for a little bit I want you to write down everything uh, sexual that you guys have done since the beginning of your relationship up until today And, man, you've never seen, like, sweat immediately come out of people's pores and just, I mean, pretty much everybody I've ever given that assignment to is just, no, I'm not doing that. You know, completely hesitant and and full of fear. And I said, if sex is a good thing that God created, then why is it so bad for you to write down what you've been doing? And what you find is there's something inside of every person, believer or unbeliever, doesn't matter, that testifies to them. They violated their conscience in some way. And they were wrong in it. And I think it's very interesting to see that even even God has gone as far as to imprint in us in some way by his design, that we know the proper means of a relationship and the improper means of a relationship. And so I think it's it's something that really testifies um, to who God is in the midst of that moment and opens a, a, a prime door, not just for the gospel, but why you should trust the prescription that his word gives for how to handle a relationship like that. So that's just a little spiel on that situation. Uh, But we will turn back to Deuteronomy 22. Are there any questions? (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about this subject, uh huh? It's a good fit
0: with what our marriage class is going through this week. Excellent. Oh, it gets worse. I I read the entire book last week. So,
1: yeah. Talking about the book of Deuteronomy or the marriage book? The
0: marriage book.
1: Okay, okay. All right, so back to this. So now we have this major accusation, we have this tarnishing of a reputation, and the family has provided evidence for, you know what, this actually happened at another time, we'll explain the details to you, here's the evidence of it, but this accusation is unfounded, it's wrong. So, it says that they will spread the garment before the elders of the city, as if the girl wasn't shamed enough, here's even more. Verse 18, so the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him. Very interesting. There's actually a disciplinary measure that the leading people of the city enact upon this guy because of it. Now, think about it. Why would the guy have made an accusation like this if if it wasn't true? I mean, maybe he didn't know about this happening before, and so that's all he had to go on. But, I mean, he had to come to this decision. I'm going to publicly expose her. And that's not an easy thing. Even Joseph was going to divorce Mary quietly. Think about that. Yes, ma'am. If he
0: really loved this woman... I mean, why would he get in a relationship if he really loved the woman and he's all of a sudden
1: accusing her of that? Well, we could say Middle Eastern or more arranged marriages. They were set up kind of different. The guys were older than the girls. The guys were probably 19, 20, 21. The girls were 13, 14.
0: He wasn't happy with the match. It's kind
1: of odd. He might not have been happy with it. He might have thought, oh, gosh, I got into this more than what I thought. He's looking for a way out of the covenant. Mm-hmm. So notice when it's like, okay, we've got all the evidence for this and you've ridiculed this woman, you have to suffer consequences for it. So not only chastise, verse 19, I love this, and they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father because he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel and she shall remain his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. So not only does a thousand dollars of current day US currency go to her dad, and it could be more, maybe my figuring is wrong, but the idea is, is you try to get rid of her, and now you never can. Can you imagine what the home life was like for the rest of their lives? Whew, tense. Anyway, moving on. That's rough. You know, I, I know some of you ladies, you're like, he's going to get his, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, popping knuckles. Uh, so he cannot divorce her all the days, verse twenty. But what's the flip side? If this charge is true, so notice she was unfaithful. She did not save herself. There is no evidence of her virginity beforehand that the girl was not found a virgin. Then they shall bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house. Why? Because it's her father's house that's been shamed. Her actions have shamed her family. See, it wasn't just, uh, oh, I'm just so passionate and you don't understand this love that we share and all this other crap that teenagers try to tell you today. It's not that. It's the idea of your entire family heritage was hanging in the balance on this situation. There was a lot to think about there about public opinion and what they saw. So you bring her out to the doorway of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death because she has committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. I mean, you had to have somewhere to go to commit this act. Chances are it happened under his roof and he didn't know about it. Thus, you shall purge the evil from among you. What is sex before marriage?
0: Sin.
1: Not just sin, but evil. Notice that. It's not just sin, it's sin. And a lot of times sin has lost its it's, it's bearing for today I don't know if you guys have seen But sometimes Walmart will have these displays For uh, lipstick and fingernail polish And it's called Sinful Colors Like Yay yeah. Go through and look at Cosmo Magazine Next time you get an opportunity And see how many times you can find the word Sinfully delicious You know, sex positions Or something like that That's on there, you know uh, Find out if you can tame her Or you can tame him Or here's the positions you don't want to miss And all this stuff And man, we just glorify And just push the degradation of our society over and over and over again. Our culture is freaking evil. So, verse 22. If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Now, here's what this does. Verse 22 prevents us from looking at the previous scenario and going, well, what if the guy does it? Does he just get off scot-free like they can just do anything and they own everything there? The idea is No. Because here's the thing, after they stoned this girl because they found out that she had no good reason and she was unfaithful, they went and they found the guy that she was with and they stoned him too. That's what happened. They purged the evil from their midst. Capital punishment was not a problem in Israel. Verse 23, if there's a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, so know that she's betrothed, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death. Now, watch this. This is interesting. The girl, why? Because she did not cry out in the city. In other words, this is a rape situation, or this is a situation that that, uh, is going to involve the girl needing to take personal responsibility and crying out for help. Why in the city? Because that's where people are, and that's where people could hear her. Okay, so it's a rape situation possibly. If she does not cry out, it's because she was a willing participant when it happened in the city. Everybody see how that works? So these are kind of the safeguards that are surrounding this. So she did not cry out in the city. And the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. But if in the field, notice a different location. If it's out in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody around, the man finds a girl who is engaged and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in the girl worthy of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. Does everybody see how serious God sees rape? It's just like killing a person. It's the same motivation of the heart. It comes from the same... Uh, well of depravity inside of somebody to commit an act of rape against a girl when she's helpless in the midst of a field somewhere where nobody can help her. Well, it's the same idea as if you were to be like Cain, raise up, take your brother out in the field and slay him. It's the same idea. So this is pretty pretty investigative of the human heart. It's malicious. Verse Verse 27. When he found her in the field, the engaged girl cried out, but there was no one to save her. Notice also the personal responsibility of the community around her to come to her aid. I think that's important. Then when you see something that's going wrong we have a responsibility, you have a responsibility Israel had a responsibility to step up to the plate and to make things right. You know what that tells me? Is that the entire community was morally culpable for everything It wasn't like, well we just didn't know if that was right or not. There's no Jim Gaffigan uh, response to situations like, we just don't know No, don't shirk the responsibility there. Get in there and be the advocate for the helpless person that needs to happen. It's part of the community of people you belong to
0: is a girl cries rape, everybody ignores it. You have to yell fire in order to get anybody's attention. You know
1: what? I've heard some situations like that and it's crazy. It's crazy. Everybody know about that part of Seattle where uh, they came in and they threw out the police department they kind of took over and there was like a K. so many... What is it? it was
0: called, they called it Chaz. It was like the something...
1: The, um... Like named after Sonny Bonoski? No, it was...
0: <laughs> okay. um, That's Thomas Don. It was the C-H stood for the area where it was, yeah, it was a something something autonomous. zone. Okay. Anyway.
1: Yeah. That was... Okay. Anyway, they got rid of the police, and I want to say that it was like within 24 hours, there'd already been three or four rapes that had been reported, and nobody could do anything about because nobody's there to enforce law. And a
0: couple of murders. And murders. Yeah. Wow. There, there was, was like the purpose. they had <laughs> they had their security was chasing around somebody and shot up a car that had two black teenagers in it. Wow. They were saying, oh, they stole the car and all that, but they, they actually physically blocked the police from getting into there. So, after that happened is when they were like, oh, hey, maybe we shouldn't let them do this
1: anymore. Wow.
0: <laughs>
1: Isn't it amazing how people treat authority? Yeah. I mean, but what do you expect is going to happen in a situation like that? Hey, we were removed all oversight. There are no consequences, or the consequences aren't as severe. So... Do what you want. Do whatever your heart desires.
0: Or there was a video of a guy that completely lost it and started tearing down the, the blockade, telling him that you're not helping anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was just like, no, this is stupid. You all need to go home.
1: What do they do to him?
0: They basically were afraid to do anything to him because he's a very large black man. <laughs> so it was wow. like, they're like, wow, what are you doing? He's like, you need to go home. You don't live here. You're ruining it. Go home. Well. I saw a video of a bunch of defund the police people. Yeah, and they were the ones recording it, and they threw rocks at passing cars. And one guy pulled over and got out to go confront them. And one of them was like, "We gotta call the police." <laughs> yeah. They're wow.
1: Scattering. We live in a fun world, full of contradiction. Uh, verse twenty-eight: If a man finds a girl who is a virgin, who is not engaged. So now this is. The girl is not betrothed to anybody, okay? So we're covering every possible angle here. And seizes her and lies with her, and they are discovered. Then the man who lay with her shall give to the girl's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall become his wife, because he has violated her. He cannot divorce her all of his days. Why? Because the moment that he had intercourse with her, they became married. That's the reason why. And so all that needed to be shored up at that point were the formalities. But you know what? You wanted to do this. She was with you. She wasn't hitched to anybody else, so there was no violation of those type of relationships in your community. So guess what? She's yours forever. Now I don't know about you, it's a horrible way to pick up your hair. but this right <laughs> this right here is the very seedbed for Meatloaf's "Paradise at the Dashboard Light" or whatever that song is, man. It really is. No, no exactly because he says i'm praying for the end of time so i can end my time with you and what happened i agreed to come into this will you love me forever yeah sure well guess what you just got yourself in a deuteronomy 22 situation verse 30 a man shall not take his father's wife so that he will not uncover his father's skirt now we want, to, we want to touch on this for just a second because he's corrupted and dishonored his father. And the idea here, shall not take his father's wife, probably his stepmother is what we're dealing with here. Uh, the stepmother situation is also brought up in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, which Paul's like, this is just beyond thinking in a lot of situation. But something that really trips a lot of people up is so that he will not uncover his father's skirt. There is something about violating the marriage relationship between two people That is what the Bible calls the equivalent of uncovering their nakedness. And it's almost like exposing somebody without any type of clothing. I'll give you an example of this real quick and then we'll close. Go to Genesis 9. The first instance where we really see this take place. And you're probably familiar with it. Genesis chapter 9 verse 20. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. In other words, he wasn't wearing any clothes, but he was still behind closed doors, essentially. It says here, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, some people have said what it was was that Ham had homosexual inclinations towards his father. There's nothing in the text that supports this whatsoever. What it was is that he saw his dad naked. Okay, that's how you say it in Kentucky, naked. (laughs) So, he tells his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders, so held it in between one another. And they may have locked arms or something like this, and they draped the garment like this, okay? And it says here, and they walked backwards... And covered the nakedness of their father. Why did they walk backwards? Because it was shameful for them to look upon their father with no clothes. And so they didn't. They, they, they helped themselves from their precautions and they went back. Now, that act right there of taking great care and the precaution of trying to cover up their dad and his drunken situation gives you a little bit of insight of what happened with Ham. Ham didn't just, oh my gosh, and look away. Ham dwelt on it. Now, I don't think there's any homosexual overtones that are going with the situation, but the fact was, he didn't just look once, he looked twice. He didn't just, you know, glimpse, he gazed, that type of idea, okay? So there was something about him being more steady on it. The other two brothers go to great precautions here, and they walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him, and then he pronounces a curse on Canaan he curses Canaan because Canaan looked intently upon his nakedness. Why? Because it was evil. It was evil to intently look at the nakedness of his father. So there's a lot to be said about human bodies, sexuality, sex organs, how God covers it up. And and we just scratched a little bit of the surface. Uh, I encourage you, go to Song of Solomon one time, read it from beginning to end, you know. There is no mountains of Beether. I'll just go ahead and let you know. The place where the husband's hanging out in the mountains of Beether, they don't exist on a map. They do exist on a woman, however, so it's a good thing to know. Let's pray. Let's let's close. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, that we can see what the Word of God has to say about clear, defined uh, means of sexuality and how to handle one another's bodies. Uh, how to respect one another, how you to set up a holy nation in order to respond well to societal ills and sin that takes place, and how the punishment for those things are severe because you deem the sexuality of your creatures and the marriage covenant is sacred. Uh, We thank you, God, for this high view of marriage. We praise you for designing sexuality for our enjoyment, and we pray, God, that we would handle it well, steward it well, that it would be worship to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Some people said, yeah, yeah, that it's pretty provocative. Yeah, the idea of my my, my woman has a garden, (laughs) that's pretty provocative.